0: To Totalis Rankium. This week, George H. W. Bush. Part two. Hello, and welcome to American Presidents Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie, and I'm Rob. Ranking
1: all of the presidents from Washington to Biden, and this is episode forty-one point two. George H. W. Bush, oh, the Bush, the big Bush, Daddy Bush, Daddy Bush. The second part, last part. We were somewhat pleasantly surprised, weren't we, Jamie? He was. He seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, there were a couple of bits that we found a bit dodgy, but generally, yeah, uh, all yeah. in all, we we didn't find it too bad. Today, no. though, we are very much getting into the thick of the politics of everything. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how we feel by the end of the episode. Today's episode, we're going up to him being elected as president. Ah, and in the next episode he will be president. Uh, well, I suppose we should start with our introduction. Off you, off you go. Where where are we starting? Um it's eight in the eighties. Yeah. No, wait, when does he become president? Uh he becomes president in eighty
0: well, we're we're going up to eighty eight. Eighty eight okay. So okay, so it's nineteen eighty seven and somebody's on like one of those crappy eighties computers with like a black screen with green writing on and they're coding. And they type in chat GPT. <laughs> Off you go. Okay.
1: Oh, I mean, that that completely ruins what I had planned. That's gone out the window. I can change it if you want. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, so you're saying it's the 80s, the late 80s, and someone has sat down in front of their green and black computer. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and has started typing in chat GPT.
0: Yeah, it's a command. It's a command function. Yeah.
1: Okay, and you hear the tippity-tippity-tippity type of uh, him typing this out, and then it zooms in on the screen. Um, And you see he is writing, what is George H.W. Bush up to right now? Yeah. And uh, (laughs) then there's a big sort of noise, which is the I'm thinking noise from the 80s. All 80s computers. Yeah. Um, and people. Yeah. And then I'll um, I'll just read to you what the 80s <laughs> chat GPT came up with. Okay. Because I figured, well, if you're going to tell me to make up what a robot would say, I'm just going to ask what the robot would say. You nice. ready for what George H.W. H. Bush was up to?
0: Yeah.
1: And I quote, Something went wrong. Please try reloading the conversation. Ah. Oh. I've tried a couple of times now, and oh no no, it's come through. Okay, so then you start seeing it all come up on screen. On the eve of his election, George H.W. Bush could feel the anticipation crackling in the air like electricity. The streets were alive with the energy of upcoming presidential contest. Campaign posters adorned every corner. His face stared confidently into the distance, promising a new era of leadership. So
0: there you go. Chat he's got a bit of flair, so. Hasn't
1: that's that? got a bit of flair. Why why do we even bother, mm. Jamie? Why do we even mm. bother? So you're zooming into the screen and all that's coming up and the guy's yeah. reading it, but then what you see is two arms coming out of the side of the computer monitor grabbing Ooh. the guy and start shaking him and then the s- computer starts screaming, "Where is Sarah Connor? Where is Sarah Connor?" <laughs> and then <laughs> And then the computer explodes. And uh, with the debris, you see the words, George H.W. Bush, part two, start. Nice. Yeah.
0: Smoothly done.
1: It was not the start I was going for. I had something all about no. him being in the CIA. But you know what? Never mind. All right. That's fine. That's fine. We didn't need that. I didn't spend ages on that. <laughs> it's cool. It's Crafting cool. it. It's great. It's great. We just went for a yeah. robot instead. Yeah. It's fine. It's all good. Right. <laughs> You ready? I think so. (laughs) Are you? (laughs) Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready because uh, Bush has just lost his second race to become senator, hasn't he? He did, yeah. And he, again, for the second time in his life, faced that bitter, bitter disappointment of thinking his political career is over. What's he going to do now? Well, he didn't know what to do. That's the problem. Uh, But fortunately, the decision was made for him because a phone call no. came through not long after he lost his Senate race. Uh, George, uh, the White House here, how would you like to be an advisor to the president and work in the White House? Yes, please. That sounds wonderful, said Bush. And then he went to meet with Nixon immediately. So it's all OK, isn't it? He did well enough in his campaign that he's been noticed
0: within the party. Ah, Mr Nixon, pl- pleasure to meet you, I've but many good things about you. Yes. What's that tape recorder doing there? Is that,
1: is that going to be a problem? The fact you're recording everything? No? Okay. No. Uh, anyway, he arrives in the Oval Office. Uh, Bush used the chance to pitch a job to the president. Don't you think, Mr. President? Uh, that I mean, yes, I would be useful to you in the White House, but don't you think I'd be better at the United Nations? Now, Nixon was taken aback by this, it's not something he had even considered, but actually now he thought about it, Oh, yeah, I do need someone on my side, fighting my corner in the United Nations, and, uh, Bush actually seems like a good choice. Huh. Okay, then. So, Nixon, very soon, went, yeah, okay, uh, job done. Soon enough, Bush was the ambassador for the United States at the UN, and the Bushes moved to New York. It was a job that suited Bush. It was all about making relationships with other ambassadors. it was all about talking about situations in smoky rooms over brandy uh, just making That's a great job making connections making sure that everyone knew what was it, everyone was up to it was uh, diplomacy diplomacy but you didn't have to leave New York. it was great yeah yes well I say that he didn't actually like New York. Not New York City, anyway. He found the place too cocky and sure of itself. In fact, I quote here, they are so darn sure they're right about everything. <laughs> yeah. it's. <laughs>
0: I wonder if that feeding is still there.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. The politicians in New York that he was working with, he found, were just... Just not quite the same as the ones he he was used to working with. But anyway, he got on with his job. To be honest, there's not much to say about his time with the UN. Uh, The biggest thing he had to deal with was the recognition of Taiwan, which was going on. But found this job really hard. Because the president, Nixon and Kissinger, uh, kept doing things like talking to China in secret and not telling anyone, including him.
0: That's not helpful. No,
1: when he's dealing with China and Taiwan and recognition of territories and everything... He's trying to make deals with ambassadors and then suddenly he finds out that Kissinger's snuck into China without telling anyone to talk to them. And yeah, he just found that difficult. The biggest thing to happen to him in his life at this time wasn't anything to do with his work. It's the fact that his father, Prescott Bush, dies at this time. Prescott had been diagnosed with lung cancer and did not last long. Bush was having a meeting with the ambassadors of Russia and Peru when he got the call. His mother needed him, so off he went. He managed to get home to his father just before he died in October of 72. And uh, his father was buried next to George's daughter. Remember his daughter died? Yeah, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so family plot. So sad time for, for the Bushes. But it's also a time of change, Things were, were rapidly moving on for Bush, because he really had decided he knew what he wanted to do by this point, and that was to be President. Everything he did was, how will this help me get to the White House? Now, the UN job was good, he enjoyed it, but it's a stepping stone, and he was looking for any other opportunities. Nixon had just been re-elected in a massive landslide, and the President had heard that Bush was looking for something new, a step up. So, one day, Bush got a phone call inviting him to Camp David. Mm. So off he goes to meet the president. Nixon had a proposition for him. Would you consider becoming the head of the RNC, the Republican National Committee? Uh, In other words, he would be in charge of all the party business and be the president's top advisor. This is a good high-up job. Yeah. Yeah. Bush sighed inwardly. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no. on his way to Camp David, he thought he was going to get more than this. It's pretty big job though. It's a big job, but it's not usually one that is seen as a stepping stone to the presidency. No. He had assumed he was going he was going to be offered the number 2 position at the State Department, which would put him in a good place to become the Secretary of State. And then yeah. from there, you yeah, that's more the normal, traditional yeah. stepping stone. But he, that was not what we, he was offered. However, he, he was slightly disappointed, but he didn't want to burn bridges, and the job would build his connections. So after talking it through with Barbara, who was not happy with it, he somewhat reluctantly agreed to take on the job. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. And after all, the Republicans are just one in a landslide. They're on the up and up. This should be fairly easy. It's not as if any big major scandals were going on or anything. I mean, apart from the financial stuff with the vice president. Oh, and that yeah. Watergate stuff that's been bubbling oh. on in the background. But no one's really paying attention to that. That yeah, will die death soon. It will be fine, he said. <laughs> and then, yeah. as we've seen, almost immediately after he took the job, the midden hit the windmill. And the, uh, the vice president was found to be taking bribes. And then, after that, the Watergate kicked in properly. Ah. Yeah, remember, Watergate was bubbling along in the background for about a year with no one, more mm. than a year, without anyone really paying attention to it. Uh, until it became this huge thing. Uh, well, it became a huge thing just after Bush became the the head of the RNC. And he found himself holding the bomb when the music stopped. <laughs> oh. Yeah. The more evidence came out against the president, the more uneasy he felt. He's the head of the RNC. He couldn't come out and voice the concerns. His job was simple. It was keep the party together.
0: Mm.
1: He can't really come out and be the dissenting voice. Oh. So Bush spent the days uh, touring the country, delivering speeches, holding conferences, which he'd usually be doing, Uh, but increasingly he was fending off attacks over Watergate, not just from the press, but from inside the party as well. Uh, Hmm. The party was fracturing over this scandal. Those who saw Nixon as damaging thought that Nixon should step down, and those who supported Nixon thought that this was all anti-party talk. Bush tried unsuccessfully to mend the risks between these two sides, was trying to hmm. glue everyone together and it was not working. Uh, Bush, Bush was absolutely miserable. He wrote in his diary at the time that this job was, and I quote, no fun at all. Oh, harsh words. Harsh words. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, he also wrote that he was appalled by the president at this time and certainly was not saying things like that publicly, uh, but mm. he was privately to his diaries. Whispering to them. <laughs> I'm appalled. I'm yeah. appalled. <laughs> yes. Uh, he kept quite a uh, quite a set of diaries to bush it's uh, right. yeah it's interesting stuff we're not talking haze levels uh, but it's no. yeah it's, it's still very interesting anyway eventually uh, as the evidence became indisputable that the president had indeed lied and condoned illegal actions Bush started to sound out to other high-up people in the GOP, maybe Nixon should resign. Yeah. And other people high up in the GOP also started to say back, yeah, maybe he should resign. (laughs) And then everyone kind of looked at each other in a kind of, so what do we do here kind of way.
0: Who's going to tell him?
1: Yeah, well, it was obvious the president wasn't going to resign. Bush toyed with the idea of resigning himself but was worried that if everyone just started resigning, then there'd be no one running things. No. And Uh, you'd be tainted with that image as well. Yeah, exactly. So he really didn't want to do that. By this point, he was very frustrated with Nixon. Again, later in the diaries, the man is amoral. He has a different sense to other people. He's completely gone off Nixon by this point. On the 7th of August of 1974, he wrote to the president directly telling him, you need to resign.
0: I hope that was was it, just on a bit of paper.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, the very next day, Nixon resigned.
0: That's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, sounds really impressive, doesn't it? Like, Bush told him to resign, and the next day he resigned. Uh, It was not Bush. It was... At this time, Nixon was getting many calls from many places that he needed to resign, but uh, Bush was the one telling him he needed to resign. But he was fairly late on that call for the resignation, which is understandable, I suppose, if he's the the head of the RNC. Uh, So anyway, Nixon resigns. All of the Watergate stuff goes on, which we're we're not going to go into. uh, But Ford becomes president. And for Yay. a while, it was suggested maybe Bush be
0: his vice president. Ooh, yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes,
1: yes. Uh, I'll take that, said Bush. Uh, but it was just rumours. This one went oh. nowhere, much to Bush's disappointment. After all, he had made it very clear to Ford that he wanted the job. He wasn't one of these people who was like, oh, well, I suppose I would do my duty, of course. No, he was there going, yeah, yeah, no, I'll I'll do it. Give me, give me, give me. Ford, 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 vice vice, vice president. Oh, he shut the door. Uh, But no, not to be. Instead, Ford offered him an ambassadorship. Interesting. Yes. How about you go off to China and be the ambassador there? I can know the secret stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, China's just started opening up to America after the Nixon era. Um, Hmm. So actually, this was a pretty good posting. You know what? Why not, thought Bush? He was fed up of being in Washington by this point. He was fed up with all the mess of the Republican Party. And he'd been trying to sort it all out for a couple of years, and it was just awful. So actually, yeah, let's do it. He'd enjoyed his work at the UN. He felt he was good at it. It would be a bit like that. Getting away from the dumpster fire that was the Republican Party <laughs> at the time will yeah. do me some good. So, in short order, he's off to China. Uh, to put it bluntly, he did not like it. Oh. No, he arrived and soon found out that politics in China was glacially slow. If a meeting was likely to happen, that meant it might happen within the next few years. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he just, it just nothing was happening. <laughs> Bush had liked the whirlwind nature of diplomacy in the UN. It was like meeting people from all over the world. This was a hub of diplomacy. Mm. Uh, Chatting, doing deals uh, in China, however. To begin with, he wasn't even meant to be going to the diplomatic parties. The US ambassador didn't do that. In his first week, his phone didn't ring once. Mm. (laughs) You'd start to wonder whether you were just in a hotel somewhere, (laughs) wouldn't you? (laughs) Am, am I in China? <laughs> Do I have a job? Does anyone know I'm the ambassador? <laughs> what am I? <laughs> wasn't great. Massive existential crisis for Bush at this point. I was getting some exercise, though. He got himself a yeah. bicycle, and he was riding Masking. around uh, the place on his bicycle, which is nice. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's seeing the sights. But uh, yeah, he, w- he wasn't having a great time. Things did get a little bit better over time, but... Generally, he was a frustrated man, and also slightly put out when Barbara, one day, was on her own in their accommodation, uh, just was talking to herself about how she needed some glue, because they'd ran out. Oh. (laughs) Can you guess what happened the next day? Some glue! Oh no, it was worse than that. It was just in their apartment. There was just some glue. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's dodgy. It's, uh, there, there was no attempt to hide In fact, that was a very obvious We are listening, we are watching We don't
0: can, trust you Can you imagine your, but that, that thing we did last night, Barbara? They, heard it all. <laughs> they, they know about the masks
1: They know <laughs> about that time I cheated at Scrabble All sorts. Uh, But fortunately for Bush, the politics back home in Washington were shifting. And it meant that soon he would be on his way back home and back in the thick of things. Because Ford, now president, was attempting to get away from the scandals of Nixon and was shaking up personnel. And that meant job openings. Lots of job openings.
0: Vice president! Vice president! Mm, No.
1: (laughs) No. No. Bush hoped there'd be something for him. He had no idea what it would look like. The vice president thinks it's just not going to happen. Just, wow. just, he needs to accept that. But he was right. A job offer did, did come. And when it did, he was absolutely amazed. Uh, Henry Kissinger himself contacted him and told him that the president soon wanted to announce that Bush was going to take over the running of the CIA. Ooh, that's a cool job. Yeah, well, Bush was shocked and initially dismayed. <laughs> In the wake of the Watergate scandal all of the awful things the cia had been getting up to had started to come out no one was going to look good in the cia for a while and that yeah. much was obvious uh, barbara instantly warned him against it this would be like when he became the head of the rnc he would be expected to just carry the bleep for the party essentially yeah and bush was unsure on one hand it meant going back home that was good yeah. Getting into the thick of stuff, that is good. Plus, it's the CIA. It just sounds cool. It is. On the other hand, it was non-political. And therefore, oh. it is considered a dead end for climbing the political ladder. You go to the CIA, that's it. That's, that's what you do. You're a CIA man. You're not political. Political correct. Dead in the water. CIA were used to making things dead in the water, so. <laughs> Despite this, Bush decided to go for it. The president had asked him to step up, so he would. He contacted his family and stated that he was going to give up his dream of being president, he was going to serve by leading the CIA he pointed out that this was going to be tough on lots of them because no one liked the CIA. And now your dad's going to be the head of it. So sorry, children, you're going to be the butt of several jokes being made about me. Uh, his son, George W. wrote back, saying, and I quote, I look forward to holding my head high and decrying proudly that, yes, George Bush, super spook, is my dad.
0: <laughs> Which is nice. That is quite a nice, nice Yeah, that's nice little cry of support. Or was it bu- Was it really early Bushism? Did he mean super
1: sleuth? No, no, spook is what they were known no. as back mm. then. Yeah. Oh, don't, don't worry, we're getting into the Bushisms in Bush's episode. There are plenty.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was uh, just then, in November of 75, that the church committee that had been set up looking into the CIA dropped several bombshells. It turns out that CIA had attempted to assassinate Castro. Ooh. And also the Prime Minister of the Congo.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. And then on December the 4th, they released the fact that the CIA had played a large role in the coup in Chile of 73. Oh. And then on Monday the 15th, they released that <laughs> the CIA had been involved in the Angolian Civil War. Oh. And then... Later that day, on the same day, Monday the 15th, Bush had his confirmation hearings to become the head of the CIA. So he's <laughs> literally becoming the head just as all this stuff is coming out of how awful the CIA is. Brilliant. Yeah. The CIA is definitely now an organisation that, by orders of the government, has been systematically killing people and overthrowing legitimate governments.
0: Oh, that's a bit uh, a bit pushy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not bit... a good look. No? It's really, really not. I I don't feel like uh, we have done enough in this uh, podcast to really go into how awful the CIA have been throughout history. And their actions are one of the main reasons why uh, the United States has a certain reputation around the world. Mm. But this is is a lot of where all of that starts to stem from. It's when it starts coming out here. And uh, hey, Bush is going to be in charge of it. Uh, Mm. As long as he gets through his confirmation hearing, of course because he can't just walk through the door. So he was grilled over whether he would be partisan to the Republicans.
0: <laughs> I can either confirm or deny.
1: <laughs> well, he was asked hypothetically, for example, if uh, the president wanted dirt during the next election on, say, this rising star, uh, Reagan in the Republican Party. Uh, he's an actor. He went to Hollywood. Who knows what kind of dirt you might be able to find on him, they said, <laughs> which seems like a very leading question. <laughs> All <laughs> Durty, the stuff he did. Reagan. All the stuff Reagan did. Anyway, the president, <laughs> the president is asking you to find this utter filth. Uh, would you do it? Would you? Would you, Bush? Are you going to find dirt? And uh, Bush had a really good answer to this. Do you want to hear it? Uh, no. <laughs> I quote, I would simply say no yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was good enough that was good enough yeah. so uh, yeah, uh, yeah tough, tough interview uh, but he yeah. passed flying colours <laughs> good
0: yeah.
1: he is now the director of the CIA the Bushes moved back to Washington and men from the CIA come and make their house extra secure so I can only ins- assume they install a secret bunker and uh, <laughs> know, put in a teleport machine or something whatever the CIA is oh that's do. cool yeah yeah and uh, now we have loads of cool stories about him being the head of the CIA. We don't, do we? No, no, it's Jamie. all classified. It's all classified. Yeah, of course. Because so. <laughs> it's what stood out to me when I first spotted it. It's like, oh, he was the head of the CIA. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, it be an interesting part of the episode, yeah. I thought. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: no, no. no. No one's got a clue. It's secretive. By its nature, it's secretive. (laughs) Uh, In fact, it was so secretive, Barbara uh, was very frustrated at this time because Bush took his job very seriously, as you would hope, uh, Mm. and simply stopped talking to her about work because it was classified. (laughs) Uh, She had always been part of his work, and she suddenly felt cut off. She quickly fell into a deep depression. She later said how she tried to hide it from everyone. But this was the worst she had ever felt, apart from when their daughter died. George soon noticed and suggested she get some help, but she didn't want that. Um, And home life was just miserable. It was just really hard times for the the Bushes. Uh, But that's at home, because at work, Bush was loving every minute of it. You get the (laughs) feeling he left home, which was just this thundercloud of a place. Yeah. And he'd solemnly get into his car as he's picked up in the morning, and then he'd skip out of it the other end. He'd jog through the corridors of the CIA, high-fiving everyone Sunshine, he will past. lollipops
0: <laughs> and Yeah, exactly.
1: He's having a great time. I mean, he'd accepted the job reluctantly. He knew it was going to be hard work and the end of his political dreams. Uh, but that kind of meant the pressure was off. He only had to think about the job he was doing now rather than seeing it as a stepping stone to the future. And it was all spy stuff, which I know no one actually doing it says it, but that's pretty cool.
0: It is very <laughs> like cool. Like, when
1: you're doing yeah. it, you've got to take it seriously. But there must have been part of his head where it's like, yeah, head of the yeah. CIA. That's cool. It's like, it's like you've got the coolest job in the world,
0: but you can't tell anyone about it.
1: Yeah, which in itself is cool. Yes. And just ignore all the murder that you're sanctioning
0: and yeah, stuff. Just
1: sh- no, no, it's spies. Yeah. Yeah, in charge of James Bond, damn it. <gasps> yes. Yes. Or, or the American equivalent. What's the American equivalent? Uh, Felix. Felix Leiter. Felix Leiter. Which is a James Bond reference for any James Bond fans out there. Sorry, I one. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. So, uh, he's he's having a good time. Another thing he liked is you get respect when you're the head of the CIA. Mm. Yeah, in ways that you don't generally get anywhere else. He was suddenly... Well respected. I'm guessing people are reluctant to be rude to a man <laughs> that they suspect could, in theory, get hold of an assassin within I don't know
0: thirty minutes. Uh, <gasps> Do you think that's how we introduce people. So hello. This is uh, <laughs> Mr. George George Bush, head of the CIA. Hello, hello. I could have you killed. <laughs> yes. You just whisper it in their ear and stand back and smile. Oh, so, where are you from?
1: <laughs> like all the time was like having a meal at night and the uh, the waiter comes up. <laughs> <laughs> this salmon's a bit, uh, not quite to my taste. I could have you killed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if he wasn't saying it out loud, he was saying it with his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. he got the words, I could have you killed, tattooed on his eyelids, and he'd just slowly blink at people. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. That's what he's doing. We, we don't know the details, but we do know that one thing he focused on was reforming the image of the CIA. That's yeah. basically the only way was up at this point. All the dirt had come out, or at least... We say all the dirt. All the dirt that we know about came out at this point. Yeah. And uh, his first job was to try and stop all the leaks coming from the CIA. The the place had kind of fallen apart under the church investigation, and it was a sieve of department. Uh, So much so that foreign agents and organisations had started to not give them information because they feared it would end up in the papers. Yeah. You don't want that reputation as an intelligence agency. One of the major things that he did, however, when he was the director, is actually quite a big criticism of him. Because he bowed to pressure from the right of the GOP over a certain issue. Because 15 years previous to this, the CIA had produced a report about Russia. And the report essentially said that after we have done some extensive research using all of our secret intelligence and all the stuff we've got, We've looked into it, and as far as we can tell, the Russians are not planning to attack us unless we attack them first. Oh. Everything points to this fact.
0: That's good. It takes the pressure off a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Over the last 15 years, that assessment had not changed. <laughs> However, hawks in the government, especially in the GOP, thought that this was wrong. They felt it in their guts. No, oh. a bunch of Russians, surely they're up to something. <laughs> I mean, I know what the CIA have said with all of their, like, intelligence, but I know what I feel after reading the papers in the morning. So it must be wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How about does it happen now?
1: Ford and Bush were badgered about the report until eventually Bush said, fine, okay, we will put a separate report that can be put together. We won't redo the report. As the CIA, we stand by this report. Mm. However... We can do a second report and we'll call it Team B's report. (laughs) So, a group of hand picked experts were selected. You can probably guess who these people were Jimmy McSnoop. (laughs) Well, these were people who all went into the project knowing exactly what they wanted to find. Pretty much all of them had a track record of being, shall we say, a little bit hawkish. Yeah. Now, to begin with, Team B's report argued that the initial report was inaccurate because they had mirror-imaged. Sounds sounds technical, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You, they mirror-imaged that first report, so that initial one's wrong, they said. So what what does it mean? They mirror-imaged. Well, they mirror-imaged the Russians, apparently. In other words, the CIA had initially assumed that the Russians would act roughly in the same ways that America would. Right. They looked at all the details, got all the facts, and then went, well, what would we do if we were in this situation? Well, we wouldn't attack first, because that would be silly. So the Russians won't attack first. Yeah? Mirror image? Yeah. But what the CIA had forgotten, said Team B, is that the Russians... A Russian. You can't trust them. We're sensible Uh Americans. Of course we wouldn't attack first. But have you considered for a moment that maybe the Russians are all just crazy Russians? Well, they probably would attack first if they were in that situation. Because, well, they're Russian, aren't they? Can't trust them. Mm -hmm. So that's how the report starts. Excellent. That's that's a good good introduction. Uh, The report then made predictions on the growth of power of Russia and their weapon development. The conclusion was the Soviets were plotting world domination and would soon be so powerful that the US would not be able to stop them unless we act quick. (laughs) It was almost the polar opposite of the report that the CIA had initially done. And the writer for GOP absolutely loved it. Brilliant! It was, as proven later, almost entirely wrong. Historians analysing it today use words like fanciful and wildly off the mark. But newspapers at the time ran headlines such as New CIA Estimate Finds Soviets Seek Superiority in Arms. So it did what they wanted it to do. Fear. Fear. Yeah. Soon after this, Carter won the next election. Hey. Bush called him up to congratulate him And offer his resignation As was per normal It's just one of those <laughs> things where you go Oh obviously I will step aside So you can put your own man in Which Bush wasn't happy about doing This is his favourite job he's had in ages uh, But then it was unusual for for incoming presidents To immediately replace the director mm. uh, it Seems a bit pushy I mean they quite often replace them over time But not like yeah. immediately Uh, So so Bush was hopeful this wouldn't happen, uh, but no, Carter did not trust the CIA one bit, especially not after all of that Team B stuff, where it's like it had clearly been a partisan report that had been published under the name of the CIA. So uh, no, Carter was like, get out, I want my own man in. So Bush had to go, so he moves back to Houston, and yet again he finds himself unsure what to do. That's it. That was the dead end. That's my political career over, so what do I do? Um, write a book? Uh, that kind of thing. Um, He, like, semi-retired, he half-heartedly got a job in a bank chairing the executive committee, where he had to work one day a week, like you do. That job took him to London occasionally, he did speeches for the Republican Party, uh, like, stuff like that, but he wasn't into anything serious. And he soon realised that, no, I'm far too young to retire, this can't be me for the rest of my life. He needed something, and he knew what he wanted to do, damn it, he wants to be President. He'd convinced himself the CIA was a dead end, but now he's done that and he's come out, He started thinking, well, is that a dead end? What's stopping me from just running to be President? And in fact, Carter's really struggling at the moment. He seems weak. There's a very good chance that the Republican could beat him in the next election. Now, he wasn't hugely known to the public, but he wasn't invisible. I mean, he had been the head of the RNC, after all. The main problem, however, if he did throw his hat into the ring, he'd be throwing it into the same ring as the representative of the far right of the party, Ronald Reagan. Nah. And Reagan had momentum. Everyone kind of assumed that it was going to be Reagan next. Would Bush be able to get the nomination over him? It seemed unlikely, but... He was determined to give it a try. So he put himself forward. He was a less extreme alternative for Republican voters. Uh, After all, Reagan is 70 almost. And let's face it, he is extreme. He's representing Mm -hmm. the extreme of the party. Uh, Yes, his faction is strong and vocal, but surely the members of the Republican Party would prefer a more down-to-earth choice that represents most of their interests instead of just the loud vocal group.
0: Well, we all thought the same in 2016, didn't we?
1: Well, this is what Bush is thinking at the time as well. Well, it's what he's hoping anyway. Anyway, things start to heat up. The Republican contenders who had thrown their hats in that ring start swinging at each other. Uh, Bush saw his line of attack as clear. Reagan was too old and too extreme. Those were the two things he was going to hammer home. Uh, Reagan attacked Bush for being the old GOP, a relic of the past. The Republican Party was changing, and Reagan was the future, not Bush. However, Reagan did not, as we saw in his episode, campaign hard to begin with. He was such a forerunner that he figured that if he got down in the muck with the other contenders, he would just add weight to their challenge. So he didn't get on stage with the rest of them, he didn't join in debates with any of them. He was above the fray. Bush, however, very much did. Get down in the book. Uh, he campaigned and he campaigned hard, and he was doing all right. He was polling higher than all of the candidates, apart from Reagan, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it helped at this time that there were a lot of things going on in the world. Uh, the Russians had invaded Afghanistan, and the hostages had been captured in Iran. Um, yeah. These were things that Bush could talk about confidently like All of his past work, UN, CIA, this is stuff he knows about, mm. and what does Reagan know? He knows how to work for an electric form and how to be an actor, yeah. so who do you really want in charge? Uh, so uh, things weren't going too bad. Uh, he had a clear game plan as well. What he was going to do is he was going to copy exactly what Carter had done four years previously. It was a while ago since we recorded that episode, so I'll forgive yeah. you if you've forgotten, but remember, Carter was very much an outsider. Yeah, uh, But what he did is he campaigned really well by realising that the way the new primaries were set up meant that if you just campaigned hard in Iowa, the first state to call, then you got momentum from it. So that is exactly what Bush decided to do. His, him and his campaign went to Iowa and they campaigned hard. And this worked. Perfectly. After pouring everything into the state, Bush beat Reagan in a shock victory 32% to 30%. This was a huge shock that very few people saw coming. Overnight, Mm -hmm. Bush turned from being one of the leading losers to a serious challenger to Reagan. Huge celebrations were held in the Bush camp, uh, but Bush soon realised that he had (laughs) scraped a win in a state where Reagan had hardly campaigned. Could he really keep this up? Well, let's see, he thinks. So, into the next race. Reagan changed strategy, as we saw in his episode, and this is where we get the story of the debate that I covered in Reagan's episode. Yeah. This is the one where the debate between Reagan and Bush was planned, but then Reagan's team then invited everyone else on stage and Bush just froze, not sure what to do. The moderator, Mr Breen, who was uh, conducting the debate, attempted to tell Reagan that he wasn't allowed to speak, even if it was to convince people that everyone should be able to debate, because that went against the rules of the debate, and Reagan cut across with his I'm paying for this microphone, Mr Green, pointing out the fact that Reagan had paid for the debate. So, covered this in Reagan's episode, but just to set the scene a little bit better here, so you can imagine it more, there were three tables on stage. The moderator right. was in the middle, Mr. Breen. Yeah. Reagan yeah. was uh, sat on table on one side and Bush on the other side. And the other four candidates were just awkwardly stood behind them because there were no chairs for them. And they <laughs> were just stood there like naughty schoolchildren. It's quite an amusing photo. It's good visual. Yeah. So they shuffle on stage and there's nowhere for them to go. And uh, Reagan's saying, damn it, they should be able to debate, and all of the drama's going on, and Bush is just there, frozen, like a deer in headlights, not doing anything. (laughs) Eventually, the candidates were asked to leave. No, this is a one-on-one debate, and it always has been. And Bush just comes across as being indecisive, not being able to get control of a situation that's got away from him. Compared to him, Reagan had come across as a man trying to take charge of an awkward situation. And also, he kept saying things like, for the good of party unity, I want to debate everyone, which sounded quite good. Yeah. Uh, Bush didn't even start to argue against it. Bush later admitted it wasn't his finest hour. Bush then goes on to lose decisively in New Hampshire, and from then on, the campaign lost the excitement that it had after Iowa. Uh, the Bush campaign worked hard, but Reagan was a force to be reckoned with, and they just couldn't beat it. It managed to land a few blows. There had been talk about Reagan's economic plan being overly simplistic and too ideological. Just general talk from a lot of people. It was bound to fail. Very few people thought that Reagan's economic plan was a good idea. Also, roughly the same time, because Carter's the president at this point, critics of Carter had started to talk about how Carter's economic solutions were like a witch doctor putting together something to heal a patient. Now, upon hearing this, one staffer on the Bush team decided to use that kind of imagery to attack Reagan's economic plan. Uh, And he came up with the term voodoo economics And it really stuck, to the point that I wouldn't be surprised if you've come across that term, even if you didn't realise that it was anything to do with Reagan. The idea that Reagan's economics were voodoo economics and therefore not good. Put aside the racist um, connotations of that, it was a term that really stuck in the public at the time. And uh, Reagan was not happy about it at all. Many were not convinced by his ideas on the economy, as I say, and this term soon just was bandied about all over the place. Uh, However, it's not enough. Reagan's going to win the primaries, it's clear by this point. Bush simply had to decide whether to quit or to fight to the death. Now, quitting sounds
0: bad, doesn't it? Mm, It can save face, though, I guess.
1: Yeah, he didn't like quitting. Uh, He was found on one plane journey, sitting on his own. Uh, just writing the words, I will not quit, over and over again in a pad. Uh, (laughs) He obviously did not like the sound of quitting. Uh, Going down in a flame of glory certainly sounded better, uh, but there's a hitch here. If he quit early enough, there was a chance he'd be chosen as the vice-president nominee. And Bush, being realistic, far preferred the chance of being vice-president to the idea of simply losing, becoming the president. Yeah. So, Bush dropped out the race. He was very unhappy about doing it, but he saw he had no choice. So he returned home, he crossed his fingers and prayed that his political career wasn't over. If Reagan didn't choose him, then that was it. There was nowhere else to go. The trouble was, Reagan did not want Bush to be his vice president. Bush's <laughs> attacks on his age and his economic plan had really irked Reagan. His advisors pointed mm. out that Bush actually is pretty perfect for vice president, He's moderate enough to pull in the moderates, but he's not liberal, Mm. so he won't scare Reagan's base. There's a lot to be said for him, but Reagan was having none Mm. of it. He had decided, something we didn't really go into in Reagan's episode for time reasons, uh, but Reagan had decided he wanted ex-President Ford to be his vice-president.
0: Ooh, that'd be awkward.
1: Yeah, this, this is something that Nancy Reagan thought at the time. Uh, She she wrote later, it's like, I thought that would be awful, but no one else seemed to agree with me. (laughs) But how on earth was that going to work? Uh, Yeah, the convention arrived, and uh, as Reagan was obviously going to win, all the talk was about the potential vice president rather than anything else. Uh, Bush and his family were there. Uh, Bush was gritting his teeth and making sure everyone knew he was 100% behind Reagan for the good of the country. Meanwhile, the rumours about Ford coming in as vice-president swirled around even more. However, Ford was interviewed by Walter Cronkite about the possibility of all this happening, and Ford pointed out that if it were to happen, then he would have to have genuine power. Not like a normal vice-president who's just shoved off into a corner. No, if he he was going to be (laughs) vice-president, he would have some power. Now, Bush, watching from his hotel room, gave up all hope at this point, Ford was talking like a man who knew he was going to be vice president and was trying to get as much power as possible. It's a done yeah. deal. His Bush's career is over. The dream's over. If you fail to become the president in this one, he's not going to be able to do it again. However, Cronkite then asked how Reagan would feel about taking on a vice president who had said, and I'll quote Cronkite here, it's got to be something like a co-presidency. That's not the words Ford used. But that's the words that Cronkite used to paraphrase him. And guess who else was watching this?
0: (laughs) Reagan just flicking through, yeah.
1: Yeah, Reagan was watching from his hotel room, and he was not happy one bit. It was hoped having Ford around would shut down fears that Reagan was inexperienced, didn't know what he was doing. So you Mm. could say, well, my vice president used to be the president. I'd be fine if I need any advice, I can get some. Sounded good to Reagan for a while. But oh, he was not going to take it if people thought that Ford was really in charge. Oh, no, 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 no. So he (laughs) soured on the idea immediately. Okay then, said his advisers. Well, if not Ford, then who? Because we all came to this convention pretty much thinking Ford was in the bag. Uh, We need to make a decision by tonight. Uh, Some of his advisers pointed out, uh, Bush, we recommended him a while ago. Reagan's still far from keen. In fact, I quote him, I can't take him. That charge of voodoo economy. Really, really stuck with (laughs) him. Well, said one advisor, what if he guaranteed to back your policies 100% while in office? Promise that he would never go against anything you say. Hmm, said Reagan. That's not a direct quote. That's paraphrasing. (laughs) Uh, A couple of hours later, Bush in his hotel room got a phone call. I mean, he was probably hit the whiskey by this point. It it was like gone midnight. Everyone knew that it was over. But no, a phone call comes through and he was shocked when it was Ronald Reagan and he was asked to be the vice president nominee. However, Bush Mm. had to be honest here. If... You're going to disagree with me about anything, Reagan said, then you can't be my vice president. You need to guarantee to me right now, you will be 100% behind me for the entire presidency. Bush thought about it for all of three seconds and went, yes, yes, sir. (laughs) Uh, And just like that, he is now the vice president nominee. Uh, The campaign starts and Bush, true to his word, toed the line. Gone was the Bush from the primaries. He was now Reagan's man through and through. When questioned about his very sudden change of heart, he downplayed the differences, or more likely just outright denied them. No, of course I (laughs) didn't think that his economic plan was awful. No. As covered in Reagan's episode, Reagan, with the help of timings over certain hostage crises and stuff, went on to win in Uh a landslide. And in November of 1980, Bush was elected to be the vice-president. He wrote to Reagan to accept an invitation to discuss the details of their victory, and I'll quote him here. "'I will never do anything to embarrass you politically. I have strong views on issues and people, but once you decide a matter, that's it for me. And you'll see no leaks, at least none from me. Call me if I can lighten the burden, if you need someone to meet people on your behalf, or to turn over eager office-seekers, or simply just someone to bounce ideas off. Please holler.' That sounds a bit desperate. It it does a little bit, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Please use me. Please, please, please. I don't want to be... A rubbish vice-president. I want to do something. Uh, Well, it seemed to do the trick. Bush was shortly informed that there would be a scheduled lunch with the president once a week with no agenda. It was just a weekly catch-up. Also, he was going to be given the vice-president's office in the West Wing. Which sounds much better than perhaps it initially does, because that vice-president's office had only just been created for Carter's vice-president. There was no vice president office in the West Wing before. The vice president Hmm. usually was in the old executive building across the road. As it turned out, Bush spent most of his time in the old executive building because he preferred it over there. Uh, But he still had his office in the West Wing that he could go to and he could work from. Um, so yeah, that sounded quite good. Seems like he's going to have a little bit of power. Uh, but he found it hard to settle in, to begin with. Unlike all his previous jobs, he now found himself in a job where, to put it bluntly, all he had to do was wait around in case Reagan died.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, yes, he he <laughs> could do other stuff, but that, that let's, let's face it, that's the job of a vice president. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bush decided early on, if he was going to be an effective vice president, he was going to follow a few rules. He was going to do a couple of things that he would not deviate from. So, number one, he had to be 100% devoted to the president and the president's image and messaging. If Reagan was happy, he was doing a good job.
0: Yeah.
1: Number two, he was not going to try and use his vice presidency as a way to climb the political ladder. Don't start wheedling people in the background. Your job is to support the president. Number three, don't leak any information. Ever. No. And that was it, those were his his golden rules, fair enough uh, and things start well enough. Uh, Reagan was not particularly warm to Bush. But then, he was notoriously distant to even his closest advisors, if you remember from his episode. Uh, So, I mean, you can only imagine how he was with someone who had been politically attacking him for over a year recently. (laughs) But that said, Bush was able to talk to Reagan regularly, and the two of them worked well enough together professionally. However, there was one major sticking point, and that was Nancy. Nancy Reagan was less able to put the past behind her. In particular, she really didn't like Barbara. Two of them did not get on at all. Uh, through a messenger, she literally sent the bus- Bushes a message telling them to keep a low profile during the presidency. And this was right at the start, before anything had happened. Yeah. So, yeah, Barbara really took offence to this. It's like, what, what have we done to deserve this message? We've not been keeping a high profile? There's lots of speculation why Barbara and Nancy didn't get on. Uh, we don't really know. One theory is that Nancy saw Barbara as a silver spoon-holding lazy, never-had-to-work-a-day-in-her-life aristocrat, and Uh, that Barbara saw Nancy as a rude, crude actress who was flying above her station. Uh, Uh, Now, it's unlikely that they thought these things, but it is very easy to imagine that they thought that the other one thought these things about themselves. And there was definitely tension there. Mirroring. (laughs) Yes. Meanwhile, Bush was given, for the vice president, to be fair, a, a fair amount of responsibility mainly around environmental regulation. Nothing too hugely exciting, but he's got some work to do, Yeah. which is more than a lot of vice presidents get. However, things very quickly became very real. After a visit to Texas to talk at the Texas and Southwest Cattle Raisers Association luncheon, exciting stuff,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: job of vice president, uh, he was on a plane to Austin. And uh, on the way to Austin, the radio went in the cockpit and uh, someone asked the pilot if they were still going to Austin or whether they were going to head back to Washington. Uh, Confused, the pilot said, no, we're going to Austin as planned. Moments later, news hit the plane. Reagan had been shot at. He was safe, but some Secret Service personnel had been hit. Soon after this, a call from the Secretary of State came through to Bush but uh, the line was so bad that all Bush could hear was, and I quote, (laughs) which wasn't very helpful. No. No. But then a written message via a telex came through and said the following from uh, the Secretary of State, and I'll quote now, Mr. Vice President, in the incident you will have heard about by now. The President was struck in the back and is in serious condition. Medical authorities are deciding whether or not to operate, recommend you return to DC at the earliest possible moment. This was the first Bush heard that Reagan had been shot. So the plane landed in Austin, to refuel, not just because they were ignoring it, and then set off immediately, well, almost immediately Bush was able to snatch a little bit of the news on a TV screen and see that things were quite serious. Uh, On the plane back to Washington he made several phone calls on the two and a half hour flight, attempting to keep on top of things, but this is the 70s, it's very hard to do that from the plane. Yeah. Yeah. When he arrived in Washington, he was told that they would take a helicopter and land on the South Lawn. This was the quickest and safest way to get the vice president back to the White House, show the world mm. that someone's still in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Bush heard this and paused. Ooh, is that a good idea? Because, uh, what you think would be good to show the world, I argue, would be bad optics, because only the president used the South Lawn. Oh. If I land there, we might as well tell the world that Reagan's dead. At this point, they had no idea. Reagan was in surgery, so... Mm.
0: Uh,
1: yeah. So he argued with the Secret Service for a while, but he went out. He would drive back. It would add 15 minutes to the journey. That was about it. They could cope right. with that 15 minutes. Bush drove back to the White House uh, and he found a somewhat chaotic environment.
0: Do you think on the way there in the car, he was sort of like redesigning it? I, For my Oval Office, I think I would like I mean, different colour drapes. Obviously, and,
1: uh... nowhere, nowhere in his diaries. No one says anything about him. There's no indication that Bush is thinking about anything other than Reagan's safety. But obviously he must have been. Mm. He must have been yeah. thinking... Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I might be president by the end of the day.
0: <laughs> that's be great.
1: You just—I mean, whether he's thinking that's great or that's terrifying or that's tragic or the circumstances—but you're gonna be thinking it, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, but nowhere does—nowhere I saw—did he uh, talk about that. But yeah, I'm guessing some just in in a quiet little corner of his brain. Yeah. Uh, that he doesn't explore that often. He's yeah. probably redesigning the curtains. Yeah. Probably. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the White House is chaotic when he gets there. One spokesperson had attempted to calm the press, but had not done a great job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I imagine that was fun.
1: <laughs> Come out <laughs> and just screamed.
0: <laughs> <gasps> the president's dead!
1: Threw his hands in the air and just ran up and down the, the press yeah. room. Uh, no, Throwing even, paper. It, it, <laughs>
0: Run away!
1: Uh, <laughs> no, it was uh, not quite that bad. He had been asked a question about who would decide whether the Reagan had to be replaced with Bush, and he panicked and went, "I, I don't know. I don't know the details." Which is not a great response.
0: No, no. But it's not unfair to ju- actually be honest. Say at this moment in time, yeah, we're not thinking about that. It's not unfair. Um, but it's not the response
1: that was wanted. At that time, you want someone to calmly go, this is what's going to happen. So the Secretary of State, by which a man called Haig at this point, uh, he saw this and went, oh God, okay, that wasn't great. I'll go down and calm the press, he said confidently. And then (laughs) walked into the press room and started screaming, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. No, he he attempted to calm the situation because he assured everyone that there was a written down line of succession. Okay, we got this sorted. We wrote this down before, and that goes the president, the vice president, and then the secretary of state. Okay, so the vice president is on his way here, uh, but until he gets here, I'll I'm in charge, and it's fine. Vice president will be here momentarily. Yeah. It's all okay. There a slight problem with that. The line of succession is not the president, the vice president, and then the secretary of state. The line of succession is very clearly the president, the vice president, and then the leader of the House, then the leader of the Senate, and then the secretary of state. Uh, So, (laughs) yeah. Whoops. Yeah, it's um, raised eyebrows, shall we say. It's like, is this, (laughs) is he attempting a coup here? What's going on? (laughs) Because that's not how it should be. Uh, yeah, he just came across as like trying to use, usurp power uh, in a time of crisis. Well, worst case scenario. More likely, he didn't really understand what he was talking about, which equally yeah. is not great. One way or another, Stressful time, he though. hadn't really calmed the situation. Fortunately for everyone, Bush then arrived... Uh, He briefly spoke to uh, the press just to reassure them news had just been received, Reagan's out of surgery, things were looking good. He then headed downstairs to the Situation Room where the staff called him Mr. Vice President. Nice. Apparently this was a big deal because everyone called him George up to that point. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, George. (laughs) Just got images of him, like walking through the West Wing every morning and... Everyone being very formal and busy and looking up and just going, George, 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 g- can I have a coffee?
0: <laughs> yeah. Can you fetch me a two Americanos and a latte, please?
1: Yeah. Um, Aren't but- you an intern? <laughs> but yeah, no, he was Mr. Vice President now, so it's fine. Oh. Uh, he reassured everyone, uh, Reagan was going to be fine. I'm not taking over here. No one mention me becoming president. I'm just keeping things ticking until Reagan's back. They get more news. It's looking even better for Reagan. He's no longer critical. Uh, They talk for a couple of hours, planning strategy of what to do for the next few days, and then Bush heads back on upstairs, and addresses the nation, appearing calm and in control. He told the country that he was deeply heartened by the reports of Reagan, and he reassured everyone that the government was running fully effectively. Ten days later, Reagan returned to the White House, and he met Bush. Reagan had caught up on how his Vice President had acted, and very much approved. Bush had stayed calm, he'd kept the ship steady, and he had not used the situation to grandstand whatsoever. Uh, the press praised Bush for his actions, and general feeling around Washington was that Bush had come out of this whole thing looking pretty good. I mean, it, it had been a traumatic situation, but the assassination yeah. attempt had done Bush's image no harm at all. Excellent. So that's pretty good. But the excitement's over. Reagan survived. It's back to being just normal vice president. Uh, So he carries on his work His first major job Was to go around Europe And reassure the heads of state In Europe That Reagan wasn't a madman (laughs) Which uh, was quite an important job to do If you remember This was the stage Early on in Reagan's first term When he was saying things like Nuke them all Uh, Oh yeah Yeah Yeah. Not quite that bad But that is what Many people were fearing Was the subtext Of what he was saying He was a metaphorical nuking He was uh, very much escalating The arms race Talk about that Um, And uh, various heads of state in Europe were very unnerved by this. So, Mm -hmm. George was sent over. VP George, off to Europe. reassure everyone, Reagan's not insane. So off he went. Italy, West Germany, France, uh, just saying things to various leaders like, yes, I know Reagan's saying a lot of scary things about nukes right now, but that's just to scare the Russians. He doesn't mean it. Honest. Look how sane I seem. And I'm vouching for him. It's going to be okay. People were sceptical, but they mm. were li- willing to listen. And overall, his visit did a lot of good for the US and how it was seen by Europe. Uh, but in particular, in Britain, meeting Margaret Thatcher went down very well. Uh, Thatcher was very impressed and even sent words to Reagan to compliment Bush on what a great job Bush had done. Talking Reagan up. And once he was home, Bush was given a warm reception by everyone. He had worked his diplomatic magic. Bush's stock went up once more. He's doing all right. But despite the fact he said he was never going to use his position to climb the political ladder, uh, he'd not lost sight of the end goal. His end goal was always after two Reagan terms, he was going to run for president. That would be his chance. So to do that, he was going to have to court the whole of the Republican Party. Especially the faction that liked him the least, the ever more powerful far right faction, that was behind Reagan. And he wasn't optimistic about winning them over. In fact, I quote him here the nuts will never be for me. We might as well recognise it. But the idea was that he had to show that he tried. So he spent the next couple of years trying to ingratiate himself with all factions of the party while at the same time towing the president's line. A job he did well enough that he was told that Reagan wanted him to run with him again in the 84 election which was great Good. news, followed by some bad news, because a recent oh. poll had showed that 64% of Republicans who considered themselves conservative wanted Bush replaced someone more right-wing. He was seen as far too moderate for the growing base of the party. But he doesn't do anything. <laughs> well, I mean, it didn't matter too much. If Reagan was happy with Bush, then Bush was happy, and Reagan had yeah. said he was happy with Bush, so they ran together, uh, and the election comes along. And for the first time in US history, Jeremy, you ready to mark this? Get Mm -hmm. this. There was a woman running. What? I know. The Democrats had selected Walter Mondale as their nominee, who in turn chose Geraldine Ferrero as his vice president nominee. So we've got a woman on the ticket. For Mm. the first time. There we go. That's good. Progress. That'd That'd be a woman president in no time. Surely. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this coupled with the fact that Bush was determined to appear 100% a Reaganite meant that Bush, shall we say, did not come out too well from this election. Mm. To begin with, he stated that he was for Reagan, and I quote, blindly. This didn't sound great. He wanted to sound like he was fully in support of the president, but it made it just sound like he was just a blind lackey with no brain of his own. But uh, where he comes across even less well is uh, when he has to campaign against the Democrat vice-president nominee, who is obviously Geraldine Ferrero. He privately complained that campaigning against a woman was impossible, because, and i quote him here, If you come back tough, you get it for beating up on a woman. And if you don't come back tough, why? Then you come back as a wimp. No win. Barbara then put her foot in it when she said that Ferrero was something that rhymed with rich. It doesn't. No, no. That Ferrero was something, a word, that rhymes oh. with rich.
0: Oh! I'm with you. That's far too long to work out.
1: Yeah. but the I've not got yeah. it in front of me, so I'll, I'll have to do it off the top of my head, but it was something along the lines of, uh, she went to say that rich woman, because Ferrero was attacking the bushes for just being rich and elite. So she went to say about how rich Ferrero was and was going to say something along the lines of that rich woman but stopped after that rich and then said, well, she's something that rhymes with rich. Yeah, it was uh, just a nasty sexist attack and it it just wasn't good. I mean, it's no less sexist just because it came from Barbara. It was just not a good attack. Barbara apparently later in life deeply regretted this and was mocked by her family for it for quite some time as being quite out of character apparently but it's what she did then and it did not go down well at all Ferrero then accused Bush of being condescending to her during a debate which was uh, something that Bush failed
0: to counter (laughs) I'm not being condescending but you wouldn't understand (laughs) that as your only woman
1: there there dear Patting the head. Would you like a biscuit? It's not great. Uh, And then, after the debate, someone told him that he had kicked ass in the debate. And he replied, well, I tried to kick a little ass. Oh. Yes. It's these little blunders that just Mm. add up. And he just doesn't come across very well in this uh, election. No. But it makes no difference to the big picture. No one cares what the vice president nominees are saying to each other. The economy was doing well. (laughs) well. Reagan was popular. Republicans win an absolute landslide, as we saw. Yeah. A couple of weeks after the election, Bush went to Reagan and told him that he planned to run for president next time. Just get in there straight away. I'm going to be running for president in four years' time. However, he reassured Reagan... I won't be any different as vice president, as I have been. I am still going to be behind you 100%. I will not attack you whatsoever. Um, I'm a Reagan man through and through. Reagan was not best pleased. (laughs) uh, But he said he supported the move. Remember, Reagan throughout is... He gets on with Bush professionally well enough, but he doesn't particularly like the guy. uh, And yeah, so he just kind of goes, okay, then and looks slightly annoyed, and that's about it. Still, Bush has a campaign to start to organise, so he approaches a man called Atwater to lead his campaign. Uh, Atwater was a professional campaign manager, and he saw Bush as a good candidate. However, the Bush family weren't sure about him. They weren't sure how trustworthy he would be, because Atwater's business partners were already working for a potential rival of Bush, so... Mm. Are you really going to be in the race properly? So Atwater then met with the Bush boys, with Jeb and George W. Jeb said to Atwater, if someone throws a grenade at our dad, we expect you to jump on it. Ooh. Atwater replied that if they were struggling to trust him, one of them should come and join the campaign and keep an eye on him and help him run the campaign. Ooh. So it'll be me and one Good of response. you. response. Yeah. George W. accepts. Okay, <laughs> I'll come and do that then. So you've now got um, Atwater and little George running their campaign for Bush. Uh, Bush was very pleased with the idea of his eldest boy coming to help out the campaign. I'll quote her, I think he will be a good insight to me. He is very level-headed. to know. So, yeah, he's happy. Happy he's got, yeah. got his family. Now, the campaign's still years away. It's very much pre-campaign stage. Uh, but Atwater started his work and soon found problems. The ever-growing conservative faction of the GOP found Bush to be weak. He was often the butt of lapdog jokes in general political conversations. He yeah. was seen as a man with no spine, parroting their hero, Reagan. Uh, now, this was tricky for Bush. He did not want to move to the right because he didn't agree with that wing of the party. And even yeah. if he did, they would see it as a weakness. But that wing of the party is what is making and breaking things right now in the Republican Party. So he yeah. was in a tricky situation. How, how does he win there he knew that to win overall the far right had to at least be okay with him so he let it be known publicly that he not only supported reagan on things like abortion laws being strengthened but he was now now that he would thought about it like really properly he was now personally fully in support of the pro-life movement so <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not just agreeing with reagan here now I'm, Really, really anti-abortion now. Uh, And as for taxes, that stuff about voodoo economics, well, that... That was, uh, that was all wrong.
0: Um, that was all politics. It's politics.
1: Fine. Well, in his heart and in his head, Bush still thought Reagan was wrong and had got it wrong.
0: Despite all the evidence to the contrary.
1: Well, no, because the evidence to the contrary wasn't that stacked up. Yes, the economy was going through a boom at the moment, and that was hiding the fact that Reagan's policies weren't great. Because Reagan's ripping out of regulations and lack of care on the deficit Bush was convinced would lead to a bill that had to be paid sooner or later, quite likely in the next administration.
0: But I'll deal with that when I'm president.
1: Yeah. Trouble was, despite the fact he still wasn't convinced by Reagan's economic plan, even though he was publicly supporting it, uh, he couldn't voice that because he had publicly been supporting it. Yeah. So he had to keep agreeing with this economic plan that he wasn't particularly happy with. And he had to say that he would continue to do it. So... That's not great. And also then, in the midterms, the Republicans lost the Senate, indicating that the national mood was perhaps starting to shift towards the Democrats once more. If he's going to, if, even if he gets the nomination, he would be up against a Democrat after eight years <coughs> of Republican rule. Mm. It's rare that a party gets three terms in a row. It would be hard for him to win, so it just seems all going against him at this point. And then it came out that Reagan had been selling arms to Iran in exchange for the freeing of the hostages, something that was definitely illegal. Whoops. The signs of the biggest scandal since Watergate began to show, and this mud was going to stick to Bush because, to put it very bluntly, he was in the thick of it. Yeah. There, there was no, oh, I didn't know what the president was doing. No, no, he was right there. His diaries state that he was one of the few who knew the details. He had been present in several meetings where the illegality of what they were doing had been raised. Uh, Bush, true to his vice president form, had done nothing but fully support the president's decision. He had basically sat there in silence until Reagan had said, yeah, let's do something illegal. And then he had gone, yes, sir. I agree. And because Reagan had decided to break the law, Bush agreed with it. There there is no denying this, it just is what he did. Uh, During all of this, Bush had publicly stated that it was ridiculous to consider selling arms to Iran. So he was publicly saying one thing, privately voting for other things in the Situation Room or during meetings. Then the Secretary of State... uh, was changed uh, to a man named Schultz by this point, uh, he warned Bush you need to be more careful when speaking publicly. <laughs> Breaking the law is one thing, lying about it is fatal. You've got to stop yes. going out and saying that we're doing the opposite of what we're doing. Just just be quiet. Bush was annoyed by this, he felt like he was being told off. However the Secretary of the Treasury later told Schultz that he had saved Bush's political career that night by telling him to just be quiet which is quite likely true uh, because uh, now that the truth had been leaked and it was clear that Bush had lied, he stated that mistakes had been made and he had supported the president's decision. He then, after talking to Atwater about what to do about this, uh, they then just leak everything that could damage him to the press. Every meeting he could think of that was linked to the Iran situation. Let's just get it all out there. The idea was that they wanted nothing to come out of the woodworks during the election, so let's just get it over and done with right now. Yeah. However, in an attempt to soften the blowback, he kind of hinted that he might not have supported the illegal actions if various other people had spoken up, such as the Secretary of State. That <laughs> he said, and I quote, But when you don't know something, it's hard to react. We were not in the loop. Now, this was news to Schultz, who remembered Bush being very supportive of Reagan and also (laughs) you had t-shirts made and everything (laughs) and also it's just not a good look saying that it's hard to have opinions on stuff and saying that you're not in the loop makes you just sound weak it's not something that you'd be saying if you're campaigning to be the president soon so it's just not great and then it just keeps getting worse it then came out that the money from the arms sales were going to the contra in nicaragua and that's very very illegal Bush, attempting to get ahead of the scandal, talked to Reagan, suggesting that he take a polygraph to prove that he had nothing to do with it. And then, once that's proven, perhaps I could lead an internal review on what happened here, he said to Reagan. But that went nowhere. Reagan listened to him, politely showed him the door, and then just did nothing about that suggestion. Uh, Bush was obviously hoping here to convince people that he was not involved, and it would appear he wasn't involved in this part, Uh, There's no indication to show that he was involved in this particular illegality. But yeah, the investigation that did take place afterwards found that he wasn't involved. Uh, But because his name's so close to Reagan's at this point, any scandal involving the President's administration immediately will drag him down. So it's, uh, it's not going great. And while all this is going on, the campaign starts to, like, build up. People are starting to talk about who is actually running. Atwater was not happy with the signs. Bush's main opponent for the
0: nomination was a man named Dole. Bob Dole. Yes. Heard of someone called Bob Dole. That name is in my head. Is it the Bob... Is it the Dole you're mentioning? Yes, Bob
1: Dole, who you have heard
0: of. Yes.
1: But you can't say anything about him? Nope. You've just heard the name. Well, yeah, that's who he's up
0: against. He must must be in other things as well, because it's a name I know quite well, unless he's just been in cultural, I've seen it on a film or something, I don't know It's
1: because we're getting more modern and he yeah. um, he will be in politics uh, for quite a while to come That'd if I right. remember correctly he I think he's the nominee in one election in the 90s he's uh, the house leader in the 90s I think so yeah, he was a, he was a prominent politician um, so maybe that's why you, you've got his name in his head, but yes, this is this is who he's up, up against uh, Bob Dole <coughs> Editing Rob here. Uh, Yes, yes, Bob Dole. He did indeed run for president in 1996 against Clinton. So I remember that bit right, which is good. But he wasn't the House Speaker. He was the Senate Majority Leader. Uh, A couple of times uh, from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, he was the Republican Leader in the Senate. So there you go. That's Bob Dole. And I'm impressed with Jamie for knowing this. I'm going to give him five ranking points for those of you keeping track. Uh, Anyway, back to the episode. I knew something. You did know something. So, Dole was up on Bush in the polls. Hmm. You might think being the vice president will give you a bit of a head start, but apparently not, because Bush was seen, as as we've already said, Mm. as a spineless lapdog to the president, who was increasingly being seen as corrupt. Hmm. And then things get even worse. Uh, Oh, pretty. Yeah, uh, because Bush came third in Iowa. Yeah, now considering he won eight years ago in Iowa, Mm. and then lost the election, Uh, well, the nomination, sorry, this was a bad sign. If he can't even get Iowa, then he's screwed. Primaries have only just started, and (laughs) it's really looking bad for him. What year is this? Uh, We will be talking about 87 at this
0: point. Hey! And at this point... At this point, yeah, you would have been born around this point. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's an interesting story. There were two people that were living in England at the time called Julia and Stephen. And this eagle flew down from the tree, grabbed this snake, and lifted it up. Yeah. And it was an omen, Rob. Was it an omen? Omen omen. of
1: this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that was going on at the same time as uh, the New Hampshire primary was going on. You're welcome. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for highlighting that. Yeah. That's right well Bush was very concerned uh, about the news in the national papers about the omen in England uh, but there was nothing they could do about it <laughs> so they turned to uh, more immediate <laughs> events which was the New Hampshire primary. Uh, if he lost here that was it it was all over. Momentum would never be gained. that's just it it's gone but fortunately for Bush things turned after heavy campaigning he manages to win but only after putting out quite a negative attack at on Dole. Something that he swore he would never do. He wanted to say positive in his campaigns. It wasn't gonna go negative. Uh but his campaign were really worried. If they didn't win <laughs> this they were out, so they, they went negative and it worked. But Bush was still worried. Uh, not about Dole, but T- tide seems to have turned with Dole. He felt like he could beat him. But another candidate was starting to look quite prominent, and this was Robinson, who was a televangelist. He
0: oh, like had the extreme right side running.
1: Yeah, well he was gaming ground. Yeah. Very much the far right candidate. Uh, he he decided to try and pick up Reagan's further right base, which yeah. is, we're talking the extremes of the GOP for the time. And his supporters, frankly, just worried Bush. I'll quote him, <laughs> They're scary. They're there for spooky, extraordinary right-winged reasons. They don't care about the party. They don't care about anything. They're in the excesses. They could be Nazis. They could be communists. They could be whatever. They will destroy this party if permitted to take over.
0: Interesting. Which is interesting,
1: isn't it? Very interesting. Yes. Uh, One Robinson uh, supporting woman in particular shook him when he met her. She was not polite to Bush. And she, to Bush, seemed unhinged and more interested in crazy conspiracy theories than policies or even personalities. I'll quote Bush again here. I couldn't tell. It might not be fair to that one woman... But that's the problem that Robinson brings to bear on the agenda. So here we are in the late 80s, with uh, Bush worrying that there was a growing faction of uh, voters who maybe like the conspiracy theory or two. And Bush just couldn't see how he was going to get those votes. They were unattainable. There's no way he can fight against that. However, it didn't matter, because the victory in New Hampshire gave him the momentum he desired. Reagan was more vocal about Bush being an okay president. Uh, it was lukewarm. It wasn't a formal endorsement. But yeah, uh, people started asking ask him about potential vice presidents, a clear sign that people thought he was going to win. So things start looking good. Incidentally, he, uh, he did receive word about one potential vice president at this point. You might find this interesting. Uh, a New York developer had uh, got in contact with him. Uh, wanting to know if he could maybe be the vice president to bush if they were running uh this new york developer was called donald trump <coughs>
0: <laughs> you're all right there? sorry right uh, no no i'm not um already
1: Wow. Yeah, well, Um. yeah, Bush was very confused and discounted it without a second thought and thought it was, and I quote here, strange and unbelievable.
0: <laughs> Tell me about
1: it. Well, yeah. Trump at this point was a big name in New York. I mean, after all, he'd uh, been in Home Alone 2. Uh, so... <laughs>
0: that was in the
1: 90s, right? Oh, right. He's, okay, he's not quite made too it early. yet. Um, but yeah, he was a big name in business and development. Uh, but mainly... Let's be honest, he was also mainly known for being a bit of a loose cannon, a playboy, and frankly, a bit odd. We're only a Mm. couple of years away here from him starting to do a round of phone interviews with people where he pretended to be his own spokesperson, where he bragged about his way with women and how Madonna wanted to sleep with him. It was things like that he was getting up to around this time, which uh, a lot of people in New York just went, "Oh, wow." That's Donald That's Trump, then, odd. is it? Anyway, Bush could ignore this. That's just weird, and it's obviously not going to have any impact on the Republican Party whatsoever, he thought. No. Anyway, back to politics. He thought polling was suggested that he was in the lead, and soon enough, uh, with some, to be honest, lukewarm endorsement from Reagan and Nixon, he was in the front. Uh, he was definitely going to win. The competition all dropped away. Uh, so, Yeah. He didn't have to campaign anymore, he was going to win. Everyone else just backed out. Meanwhile, the Democrats had chosen a man named Dukakis. He was the governor from Massachusetts. Bush was happy enough with this, he believed Dukakis was far too liberal for a country that had been behind Reagan for eight years. However, this proved too hopeful, or at least to begin with. Initial polls showed Dukakis was way ahead in the polls. People seemed to think it was time for a change. Further polls found Bush slipping away even more. He was as low as 38% in some of them. This was devastating yeah. polling. So the Bush campaign decided it was time for desperate measures. They went full-on nasty attack moat. Oh. Yeah, they painted Dukakis as an unpatriotic liberal extremist. When Dukakis came out stating that he didn't believe that the death penalty worked as a deterrent, the Bush campaign painted him as weak on crime. Uh. At one point, he said that he didn't think all children had to pledge... Uh, allegiance to the flag every single morning in a school, he was painted
0: as un-American. Does that actually happen? I thought it was just like on TV. That can't happen, can it? It's
1: Does it weird. still happen? It's, it is a very, very strange thing if you're not in America that that happens. Anyone who is Self. in America and just thinks that's normal, that's just because you live in from an outside yeah. perspective. It's weird. I'm going to look up if they still do it.
0: It's very, very kind of North Korea vibes. Yeah.
1: It? No, ap- apparently they do still say it really but they don't legally have to because first amendment overrides it but apparently they
0: still do it yeah wow i didn't i, I just thought it was a thing on tv in films i didn't realize they actually did it yeah wow
1: yeah so anyway uh dukaka said something along the lines of it's not <laughs> that important um and yeah he was he was vilified uh, by the Bush. uh,
0: As will we be. As I'm sure we will be
1: in in reviews of this podcast. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so all that was going on. Um, Then the Bush campaign got hold of a story of a man named William Horton. Uh, Horton was serving a life sentence but had been released for a weekend on a furlough scheme. Uh, He did a runner (laughs) on that furlough scheme and then went on a violent crime spree uh, where people died. It was not pleasant. Bush used this story as often as possible to explain why the country was not safe in the hands of liberals. Uh, Dukakis was the governor of the state that Horton was in, so there was a link there. The Bush campaign saw this as a really good way to attack Dukakis. However, the Dukakis campaign then accused the Bush campaign of playing on racial fears. Uh, Horton, by the way, happened to be black. So, oh. yeah, the attack ads soon started to resemble look at the scary black man. If you vote in Dukakis, carcass, look who's coming to get you. Uh. Yeah, uh, it's very much debatable whether it started off as obvious race issue attack line that Bush's campaign thought up of, uh, or whether it was just attacking crime, which is certainly what Bush claims. They were were just going tough on crime, and Horson just happened to be black. But whether it was intentional or not... It's exactly what it turned into. It turned into a big, horrible race debate that just coloured yeah. all the election. Yeah, soon enough, there were so many attack ads going on that people were saying it was the ugliest campaign in US history, which is very debatable, but it wasn't a pleasant campaign. Uh, no. Lots of nasty things were being said by, by everyone. But the attack ads worked, because by the end of the campaign, people figured that they'd be safer under Bush and that Dukakis was not to be trusted. Bush won decisively 54% to 45%. He won 426 of the Electoral College votes to 111. Mm. So Republicans win for the third time in a row. Wow. Yeah. Again, we are not far from Watergate. The Democrats must be just looking at themselves at this point going, what is going on? (laughs) Um, yeah, it <laughs> yeah. had been a messy campaign, but he'd done it. George H.W. Bush was to be the 41st President of the United States of America. Wow. And next time, Jamie, we will find out what he does. Interesting. So, there you go. How are you feeling about him now?
0: Um, he's clearly become a politician. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, so the first episode, I was like, mm. oh, I'm pleasantly surprised. He seems like a decent guy. Uh, yeah. This episode, he just comes across as spineless
0: and. Uh, yeah. He's. Uh, doesn't, st- doesn't stick to his own convictions.
1: Yeah. He's, or at all. He doesn't agree with Reagan, but he's there just saying Reagan's great because he thinks it will get him ultimately to the White House. It worked. <laughs> he would, I'm sure, be horrified if anyone accused him of being sexist or racist, but he's happy to use sexist and racist language and tropes to help him win elections. It's. Yeah, it's less good this episode, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but he's not coming across as a really nasty man. I'm still not getting Nixon or Reagan vibes off him, where I really struggle to like no. them personally. No. Uh, so, It yeah. feels like he's sold his soul a little bit. does a little bit. But maybe it'll be worth it. Maybe once he's in the White House, he'll... I know I... he's a
0: one-term president, so <laughs> <laughs> probably
1: not. Yeah, who knows? Well, there we go. That is... Bush Part 2. Thank you very much for listening. There will be a little bit of a delay, more than the two weeks delay before Part 3, because Jamie's going on holiday. Yay! Yes, he is. So, yeah, it'll be a little bit longer before the next time, but we're not talking a huge amount of time. That's hopefully three weeks instead of the two weeks. Yeah. Something like that. And in the meantime, Jamie, we should have what out? First Star Trek person episode. Yes, so the first real Star Trek episode will be out for our Patreon members. Um, If you're listening to this just as it comes out, it will probably be out within the next week or two. Yes, uh, I'll do it the
0: week after this one.
1: Cool, okay then, yeah, because we'll be recording it tomorrow. Very exciting. Yes. Yes, yes great okay then so that's all the announcement stuff out the way uh thank you very much for listening and all that needs to be said is oh sorry jamie i just jumped in there that's thank it. you that's for fine. listening that's you, fine. you say
0: your bit go on that's no, all right no that's all right it's fine fine thank you for downloading us downloading us on pop B and itunes wherever you do um and thanks for following us on twitter and facebook and threads as well yes we are now on threads and twitter what's twitter jamie x sorry <laughs> it always feels like when I see it on my phone now, it looks like I've got a porn app on my phone. It's really bad. Jamie, Jamie, look at this. Look at this on my phone. Can you see Don't it? Don't show
1: me a porn app, Rob. No. Look at that. Can you see it? Oh, how come you've got that? Did you not update? Nope. I'm not and I'm not planning to. I'm going to have oh. the actual Twitter icon for as long as I can. <laughs> Whereas oh, got you've like got it. a porn app on your phone. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> so I've still got oh, Twitter. Well. You've got whatever. Aww. whatever's happened to Twitter. Yeah, anyway, you'll find us on there, but also on threads and other general social media sites. Right, we're waffling, yeah. so we should probably say goodbye. 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 <laughs> Thank you for coming, uh, Mr. Bush. It's my pleasure. Now, before, obviously, we can confirm your position as director of the Central Intelligence Agency, we uh, obviously need to make sure that you're the right man for the job. Of course. And you are a Republican, and I must say I'm slightly concerned that you might be partisan. No. Oh. Uh, so you won't be partisan? No. Oh, okay, that's... um. Okay, sorry, let me just find another question. I kind of thought that that would go on a bit longer. Um, Okay, well, what about this, uh, Mr. Bush? If you were the head of the CIA and the president ordered you to find uh, dirt on, say, uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, rising star of the Republican Party, and your president asked you to find dirt on a political opponent, well, maybe you would do that. What would you do, Mr. Bush, if the president asked you to find dirt? I would simply say, no. I'm sorry. No. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Kind of thought that would go on for longer as well. Um, okay. Now, hang on. I've got another one. Okay. So, what if you are the head of the CIA and? All of a sudden, someone's dragged into your office and someone says, it's a spy, Mr. Bush, it's a spy, and you're handed a gun and you're told to shoot the man in the head right there and then because it's a spy. And then it turns out that it's actually the political opponent of the president. What would you do then, Mr. Bush? Would you say, yes, I will kill him? I would say, no. Are you
0: sure? Yes. Yes, so you would kill him. No, no, I am sure that I would not kill him. Right, okay
1: But but you are partisan though, aren't you? Nope Oh, go on, go on, just say you're partisan Nuh-uh But, but I mean, you're a Republican You're obviously going to be a partisan but, Oh, come on, just just admit Please, please, I've, I've ran out of questions And I've still got three minutes left on the clock And I, I thought you would have broken by now, to be honest You thought wrong Damn it Right, well, I'm out of questions, seems good to me